What is up, Bitcoiners? It's your boy, CK. And this week, I am sitting down with the myth, the man, the legend, Zach Herbert, the CEO of Foundation Devices. We talk about the new Foundation Passport, as well as what is wrong with the current way that hardware is built. And we go deep on multi-sig and how to do multi-sig right with Bitcoin. Before we get into the show, though, I want to talk about Bitcoin Black Friday. Foundation Devices is actually a key sponsor of Bitcoin Black Friday. They are the hardware wallet sponsor for Bitcoin Black Friday. And you can get early access to Foundation Devices' first hardware wallet, the awesome-looking passport device, which we talk about in detail on this podcast, go to BitcoinBlackFriday.com right now. Go over to our hardware section and go get a fantastic deal on a pre-order for the Passport. And while you're there, go sign up for the Fold Sats Back debit card. If you sign up for the Fold Sats Back debit card through BitcoinBlackFriday.com and only through BitcoinBlackFriday.com, you are signed up for a raffle to win an entire Bitcoin. When we announced this raffle, Bitcoin was around $10,000. And now speaking one week outside of Black Friday, it is sitting at $18,000. So who knows how valuable this one Bitcoin giveaway is going to be denominated in fiat terms. But until then, make sure to sign up for the Fold card. Go check out all the amazing deals, including this Foundation Passport on BitcoinBlackFriday.com. And without further ado, let's get right into this podcast with Zach Herbert. What is up, Bitcoiners? This is CK. We got another Bitcoin Magazine podcast, and I'm here with Zach Herbert. We actually spoke very recently on the Bitcoin Magazine Happy Hour last week, but I'm really excited to sit down with you because you are working on a product that I am personally very excited for, and it is about to ship. So this is a perfect timing. Zach is the CEO and co-founder of Foundation Devices, and your first product is a beautiful air-gapped Bitcoin wallet made in America, and you're about to ship it. It's called the Passport. Let's just jump right into it. Sure. Um, you know, to be here. Let's yeah, talk about you. Passport Foundation yeah. and, and yourself and, and you know what you guys are about to ship. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for having me. So Passport, as you mentioned, is an air-gapped Bitcoin hardware wallet. And it's you know, our goal is to kind of make it like the iPod of Bitcoin hardware wallets, where it's something that is more accessible to new users and advanced users. And basically anyone that is interested in transacting with Bitcoin, especially multi-sig users. And we're going to talk more about that. And Foundation Devices is a new startup that we founded back in April of this year. Our goal is to build what we're calling the open hardware foundation for Bitcoin and a sovereign decentralized internet. So our main thesis there is that Bitcoin needs to be built on an open, transparent hardware foundation. And pretty much all of our hardware today, you know, think iPhones or like, you know, your Windows computer or anything like that. It's all built on very closed source proprietary stuff. And that's dangerous because when you're running Bitcoin, you want to know what every single you know, level of the stack is doing. So if you believe that, you know, open source software is important to Bitcoin, then you should also believe that open source hardware is important to Bitcoin. And not many companies have really tried to take like a Apple level approach to design and then also combine that with open source. You know, usually you see open sources for like the super techie stuff or or developer oriented stuff. We're trying to bring open source hardware to the masses. 
Yeah, so I'm actually glad that you brought up open source hardware. This was the very last thing I had on my list, but we can bring it up to the <laughs> sure. front. I personally, I think that Bitcoin is this incredible incentive that really aligns things that have been out of whack in the world. And I think that goes to energy production. I think that goes to sovereignty of finances and distribution of wealth. I think that goes to the hardness and robustness of our physical, our, our hardware, right? Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of leaks in our hardware and there's a lot of issues and there's a lot of like black boxes in pretty much every piece of hardware that we use. So mm -hmm. I, I'm very interested in, you know, what you, like, where do you see Bitcoin kind of fitting into this? And I mean, you kind of did talk about now Bitcoin exposes this vulnerability yeah. and, you know, we need to be storing these, you know, digital pieces of data very, very securely in a way that, you know, but I guess, yeah. can you talk a little bit about that incentive and where do you think Bitcoin drives hardware in the future? Yeah, I think Bitcoin fixes this is the, is the answer for everything. Right. But then definitely for hardware as well. You know, if you think about something like uh, a credit card, there's a chip inside your credit card, there's chips inside credit card terminals, you know, basically like our entire financial system today is built on trusting other companies. You know, the, the worst case scenario, if something is wrong with the chip in your credit card, is that the credit card company undoes that transaction for you. Obviously, in Bitcoin, you don't have anything like that. And so if there is any flaw, if there's any vulnerability in the hardware, you could have funds at risk. And so I think it just aligns the incentives where you have to be more open. You know, you have to be more transparent. You have to be more auditable so that other people can look at your work. And, and you don't want to do any of the security through obscurity stuff. And this is a huge problem in hardware. I think a great example lately is every... T2 chip, which is the security chip in like every modern MacBook and, and Mac computer from the, for the last two years or so, it's like completely broken and there's nothing they can do to fix it. And so hardware is like really difficult because once you ship it, you know, you have a very limited number of things you can do to, to patch things. And so just the incentives of building in the open and, and, you know, having that transparency become really important because you're storing people's money. So Speaking of making this stuff as clean and transparent as possible, you guys effectively went through every single hoop in order to achieve this with the components that create yeah. the passport. Can you talk a little bit about that? And my personal favorite is actually the screen, but can you just yeah. kind of walk through you know, yeah. how you guys achieved this open source dream? Definitely. And I, there's still a lot more to achieve, firstly. So... Um, it's, it's a multi-year process to, to do what we want to do. We have to be a much larger company, but we figure we, we do as much as we can for the first gen, and then we continue to you know build and building it better. So firstly, open sourcing the hardware and the firmware. So we actually open sourced the hardware last week under CERN's open hardware license, which is awesome. There aren't that many companies that use that license and fully open source like the circuit board designs. We're going to be open sourcing the first version of the firmware later this month. So we're really excited to, to get that out there. Then from a component perspective, there's a lot of components that go into a device. A really common component, like you mentioned, is the screen. And what most people don't realize is that today's screens pretty much all have chips inside of them. There's a, there's a chip inside the screen itself. And then there's a chip in the touch panel because most screens today are touch screens. And so... You know, we, we kind of approach this project building Passport as 
we want to eliminate any unknown code on the device and we want to minimize any number of silicon or, or chips that we have to trust from third parties. You know, we want to know what everything in the in the device is doing. And if we're buying like, you know, we don't want to buy a screen from some sketchy supplier in China that comes already with a chip embedded in it where we don't know what it does. And so for Passport, we sourced a really cool screen from Sharp that does not have any chip inside of it. And so it, it actually ends up looking like a little bit older. It's black and white. You can actually see I got it. You know, I got Passport yeah, show the here. video. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, you're entering pins and whatnot, you know. It's kind of hard to see on this camera with the with the glare of the light, but it's it's a monochrome display. And so, you know, we're we're willing to make the trade-off. We think we can provide like an awesome user experience and a great product design, even though we're using that monochrome display because it's just much more secure. Then we've done some other cool things as well. You know, I think when talking about hardware wallets, something that's really popular to discuss is sources of entropy or, you know, what's generating your random numbers. And pretty much every device today is relying on this, what's called a TRNG, a true random number generator that's in the chip. And that could be in like the main processor or that could be in the secure element, which is like the security chip. Um, We decided to implement a random number generator called an avalanche noise source. It was already an open source design actually that we that we grabbed from Bunny, who's like a famous hardware hacker, and we implemented in Passport. And it just uses standard circuit board components to generate random numbers. It doesn't do anything proprietary. It's completely auditable. So that's another example of what we did with Passport. So we're really just kind of looking at the whole stack and trying to minimize the amount of components that we're trusting. And over time, hopefully doing everything open source, even the chips. So just for a listener who might not be a hardware wallet geek, can you kind of compare what you're doing with Passport to some of the key players in the hardware wallet space right now? Yeah, definitely. So I think think the key players in the space are Trezor, Ledger, and Coldcard. And, you know, on the Trezor side, they are great with uh, open source hardware. So, you know, the whole Trezor stack is open source. Even the circuit board designs themselves, which is rare. I think Trezor and and we are the only ones that have actually open sourced the designs for the boards. So if you care about running something that's open source, knowing how it works, knowing what's inside of it, Trezor is a really good option. The, The downside, though, is they don't use any kind of secure element chip, a security chip. And so it's really easy to extract the private keys you can do so in like 15 minutes in a lab setting with commonly available hardware. And so if you're using a Trezor, it's really important that you use it either in a multi-sig setup or with a strong passphrase. Ledger is really closed source. There's apps on the device that are open source, but the operating system itself is closed source. The operating system actually runs on a proprietary security chip. And so you, as a, as a user of Ledger, have no insight as to you know what it's doing in the back end. And so that requires you to really trust them. And then Cold Card, I think, has the best security model by far. And we have taken that same security architecture of using a standard processor, but then also using a secure element. The secure element runs no code, which is really important. So 
you know, there's no unknown code or secret code running on the device. It's like a dumb chip that can just store some keys and some key slots, basically. So that's what we use it for. That's what Cold Card uses it for. The theme with all these hardware wallets, though, and it's just been a personal opinion of mine for, for the last few years, has been that they're just really hard to use for new users. There's a bunch of things about it, whether it is the UI being slow, whether it is having to plug it into a computer, using proprietary software to set it up for most people, you know, like Trezor and Ledger kind of push their users into using this proprietary desktop software that records a lot of information about what you're doing on the devices. And then one of my personal pet peeves is having to write down a seed. You know, I think it's 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 kind of crazy where if, if you think that Bitcoin is going to get to be something that's mass market and you think that millions of people are going to be buying hardware wallets, the idea that they're going to take out like, Uh, a pen and paper, and they're going to write down these 24 words or even hammer them into a metal sheet as part of setting it up, I think is something that does not scale beyond, you know, hardcore Bitcoiners. And as we've seen from some of the hacks lately where, you know, they're they're phishing users and getting them to enter their seeds into their computers, I think there's a, a large misunderstanding about how to keep those seed words safe. And so we're extremely focused on the UX. We do our transactions on a full air gap via QR codes. We do also have a micro SD card slot. And it's pretty magical when you see it work with something like Blue Wallet or Spectre over QR code, where it's like you're sending data almost instantaneously uh, over multiple QR codes, but you're not having to plug it into anything. Uh, and so those are some of the ways that that we're different from the other players. And for the listeners, you'll be seeing more videos and de- demos and stuff of that throughout the end of this calendar year of Passport working with some of these other software wallets over QR. Yeah, I'm actually excited to uh, get my hands on the Passport as well and yeah. do a little bit of demonstrations for Bitcoin Magazine and BitcoinBlackFriday.com. I think, where... I think this one is going to you, by the way. This. Uh... All right. Yeah, yeah, Let's yeah. go. <laughs> Look at that sexy little device right there. Well, I'm excited your... to get my hands Triple on A's. it. And... <laughs> yep. Well, so I guess here's another example of you guys thinking about the entire stack. You guys obviously are putting triple A's in there. I'm yeah. sure lots of people have gotten used to charging their devices. They're like, why are you doing that? Yeah, so it, it's something that we we honestly go back and forth on. So one thing is that we when we say air gap, like we really want it to be completely air gapped. Our ideal product does not even have an SD slot on it. But we had to make some compromises there because you know you got to get firmer on it. And sometimes you have really large Bitcoin transactions where you, you want to pass it over SD card or you want to maintain compatibility. But on the battery side, we were trying to decide, you know, do we source normal lithium ion battery, you know, or not? And, and how do we charge it? And we really did not want to put a USB port on the device for practical reasons, but also kind of for psychological reasons. It seems a little bit silly that you could receive a device, you could have a USB port on it. You know, maybe that device is is completely sealed because we're sealing our devices before they go to consumers, right? And so you are trusting us, but at the same time, you know, we want it to be very clear that it's air-gapped. Then also, lithium-ion batteries do have little chips in them. And, and so you see this, you know, cold card release some cool products. One of them is, you know, cold power, where you hook it up to the 9-volt the, the battery. And, and then another one is a cable where you can plug it into an external lithium-ion battery, and it ensures that there's no data flowing, you know, only power. And there's a lot of vulnerabilities in hardware wallets that 
include reading out the power and, and collecting the power. Some, sometimes, for example, there were past vulnerabilities where you could monitor the power usage and figure out what it's displaying on the screen. There were some OLED vulnerabilities in the last year or so that did that. Wow. We just didn't want to take any risks. And so we decided let's do triple A's. It's also great for long-term storage. If you want to throw this thing in a safety deposit box for five years, you want to be able to store it without the batteries in it. And if you're storing it with the lithium ion, I mean, I've had, uh, you know, I've had a MacBook Air where it's two years old and then the battery starts to, you know, inflate. And, you know, Ledger Nano X, for example, has an integrated non-removable lithium ion battery. You know, if you put that thing in a bank vault for a few years, you don't know if it's actually going to be in one piece. And so having removable AAAs, I think, was the right move. For subsequent versions of the device, we may try to do a lithium ion, but we're going to have to figure out how to make it easily removable while keeping it like really nice looking as a device, while also allowing you to charge it through something like a cradle or charging dock. We just weren't ready to do that for V1. Well, I like that you guys are, you know, you're not trying to force things and you're you're sticking to first principles. So if you have to sacrifice on maybe the charge, you know, having charging, but not sacrifice on security, you're taking that route, which I commend you for. And I think that's the Thank right you. way to do it. So we went on a little bit of a tangent, but <laughs> sure. you did bring up the fact that you hate seed phrases. You don't think mm-hmm. that people are going to hammer them into titanium plates. How are you guys kind of solving that problem right now? Because I'm assuming when I get this yeah. device, I- I'm going to be able to write my seed phrases with it. Right. So you are going to be able to. And that's actually when we give this one to you, that's that's currently what we have functioning in the firmware. But we, we have two things we're doing. And, and we didn't invent these things, by the way. So I'm not going to take credit for them. But we we like, you know, we've been looking at all the different products in the landscape and trying trying to pull our favorite features from each one. So, you know, one thing we love about cold card is they have this feature that allows you to back up the device to an encrypted micro SD card. And that's something that we are implementing in Passport as part of the setup process for new users. So basically when a new user gets a Passport, you're going to have three options. One is going to be that you're, you want to use Passport with, with multi-sig, with a service, you know, like Casa or with Spectre or something like that. And you, you know, if you're using Casa, they specifically instruct their users not to write down the seeds. Currently on hardware wallets, I think most of them, you cannot actually skip the process. So you have to write it down and then you have to like rip it up. I know I've like dissolved mine before and like in the, in a sink with like cleaning solution and whatnot, you know, it's all these kind of ridiculous ways. Cause I didn't feel comfortable shredding it. I think maybe burning it would probably be the best, you know, the I've best burnt answer. Them before. Yeah, after, so, after hammering them in, I've burnt them. Yeah. So we, we just felt like, like, you know, we need to have a way if you're using if you're using multi-sig and you have a robust enough setup like a like a three of five, for example, and you do understand that if you lose a device, you know, if a device breaks, you have to cycle in a new device, you know, quickly. We just give you the option to skip writing down the seed, say that you're using it with multi-sig. The other option is that you just back up the device directly to a micro SD card. And I can actually grab a micro SD card out of my computer here. What's cool about um, Passport is that the micro SD card just plugs right into the top here. So, you know, no having to like go around the back, no having to take out the battery, it just plugs right in. And we are providing uh, two industrial grade micro SD cards with every purchase. And an industrial grade card is they typically retail usually for like 20 to 30 bucks. Obviously, you know, we, we save a lot of money on that when we buy, you know, buy them in bulk for our users. Uh, they're good for usually around 10 years of life. 
they're more resistant to heat, dust, all the, you know, radiation, like, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so we think for the average user, putting it on a micro SD card, and we give little plastic cases for them as well. And then storing that away is going to be better than storing the seed words because it's much harder to get fished if you're doing that. You know, you know that the only thing you should be plugging this card into is your passport. You know, if you if you lose your device, if it breaks, you can buy a new one, you can plug it in, you can restore your your whole wallet and all your settings, which could include multi-sig configurations, which is really important. And so we basically are having the option to write down a seed word in, in an advanced setting at startup. You know, it's not something that we're going to be pushing normal users to do. And I know that might be a little controversial. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, maybe I'm just stuck in my way, but... I would prefer to have have the you know titanium plate that's kind of sealed off then then <laughs> it feels more robust than the micro SD. I understand what you're saying that mm-hmm. you know for someone who hasn't already gone like the hardcore bitcoin route that you know your 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 way might seem more approachable and it's more mm-hmm. mistake I guess resistant but I don't know it just that that little chip does not feel like a very secure backup to me. That feels like something right. that's going to get lost by 90% of people. Right. And I think that's why multi-sig is the answer for most people. And and I think that multi-sig, when done correctly, is just a better setup for even a new Bitcoiner. I don't know. I know that also might be a, a bit of a controversial view, or I know there's been, you know, kind of back and forth. I actually online agree with lately. you on that. Yeah. And and so, you know, I, I think the great thing about multi-sig, even if you're in a basic two of three setup. Maybe you're using your phone and two hardware wallets or a laptop and two hardware wallets. Or maybe you're using a service like Casa or Unchained Capital where, you know, they're holding on to a key for you. If you lose one device, you're fine. You know, you can go, you know, bring in a new backup. And I'm really interested in seeing, you know, other things like that where there's just different different multi-sig setups. And I think 2021 is probably going to be the year of multi-sig. There's so many new amazing desktop clients that are coming out all the time. Like we just had Nunchuck come out, I think a couple of weeks ago. And then also, I mean, I, I think there needs to be more options on mobile because I think the majority of, of, of mobile, you know, of, of the majority of new Bitcoiners, I think will just come in on mobile. I think that that's something that a lot of Bitcoiners are, are really focused on providing these desktop apps. And I think they have to realize that most people don't even like have a, a personal laptop at home anymore or computer. Like they have, you know, they have a laptop that they use sometimes, but usually they're just on their phone or on their iPad or something like that. And so I love like what Blue Wallet is doing, you know, where their multi-sig product is currently in testing. We've been testing Passport with Blue Wallet. And so our recommended demo for you is going to be just single sig Blue Wallet, where you pass the QR codes back and forth. But we're going to be adding on the multi-sig and other features over the next couple of weeks and testing those. Yeah, it's just, it's just really exciting. So I do think we should be pushing new users towards multi-sig. And with regard to the metal stuff, yeah, I mean, if you want to, of course, you can, you'll be able to view the seed words that's set up and, you know, you'll be able to hammer those into a steel plate if you want to. But when we are thinking about designing products, we're thinking about how do we design a product that we can sell to a million people, you know, like a million new Bitcoiners. And if we were encouraging or bundling in like a metal seed backup thing, I don't think that's something that we're going to get people to be able to do. I just, I have a very practical, you know, view on it. 
Yeah, for sure. Maybe the the middle is for advanced users. So I guess let's talk about multi-sig for beginners versus single sig. You've said many complimentary things about cold card. I've actually interviewed Rodolfo at the same time as Michael Flaxman. And they have, you know, Michael Flaxman's in your camp saying beginners should use multi-sig. Rodolfo said, no, just Let's take a step back. There's so many things that can go wrong with multi-sig. Yeah. Just get a cold card, get a get a cold steel, start there, and then you know, upgrade your Bitcoin storage as you as you get more Bitcoin yeah. and learn more. I guess, you know, obviously you're more on the multi-sig side. Yeah. You know, where does multi-sig need to go? Because it's not easy enough for grandma right now. It's barely right. easy enough for me. Like I use Unchained Capital. I also use my own setup and you kinda of have to roll your own. It's not easy. It's really not. Yeah. So I think we need a couple things on the multi-sig side for it to get really easy and to solve some of the core UX problems and security problems that we're seeing right now. I think one is you need more user-friendly apps. I mean, I know that's kind of a stupid, like very low-hanging fruit thing to say, but things like Casa have been working on this for a long time. Blue Wallet is looking like it's going to be really excellent. Spectre is a little bit more complicated because you have to connect it to your own node. But once you do, and if you're using something like Umbrel or, or, or any or MyNode or any of these things, you know, it's relatively easy to connect up. It's pretty easy to use. So first you need you need some user-friendly apps. The Electrum stuff back in the day was just too complicated. And and so yeah, exactly. Um, Electrum so is too complicated thing. for large enterprises. Straight up. Yeah, yeah. And there's security issues there as well, with most people just relying on, you know, someone else's Electrum server and and, and there's been some bad exploits there. So the other thing that I think you really need is you need a way to really quickly transmit data back and forth from these products. And so QR codes are really magical. And, you know, everyone will be seeing, you know, more videos of how we've set it up over the next several weeks. You know, Kobo has done some work on that front as well. There's this growing standard that Blockchain Commons has created which is called the UR standard for basically breaking up large amounts of data into multiple QR codes. The beauty of that is you can do things really quickly. Like you can, you know, send data back and forth in a few QR codes for a transaction. And, you know, you can also do things like address verification, which is, which is the third point, which I think is really important. When you do multi-sig, you have to be really careful. You have to verify the re- every time you create a new receiving address, you have to verify it from one or more of your signing devices because you may trust the multi-sig setup, but maybe you're using software that's been compromised and it's giving you a receiving address that's belonging to you know an attacker, right? Or, or someone else. And so it's kind of annoying to verify receiving addresses now. I don't think it's supported with Ledger, Trezor, you know, you got to plug in USB, with cold card, you're typically scrolling through an address explorer. You know, you're passing micro SD cards back and forth. The ability to just quickly scan a QR code of the address and then get a thumbs up from your hardware wallet that that address belongs to your multi-sig signing setup is really, really important and helpful. So I think when you combine these things, you know, right now, the biggest issue for secure multi-sig is you want to be able to import that multi-sig configuration into each of your hardware wallets so that they can verify addresses and verify that all the transaction details are good. Casa is not there yet, right? And so so there's some services. I don't think Blue Wallet's going to be there at launch either. Spectre is there. So we're going to have to see a lot of improvements to these you know, apps over the next 
several months. But I think by the end of 2021, they'll have all those core security features. We'll have a standard for communicating with air-gapped hardware wallets. And it's going to be really fast and easy for normal people to get up and running. That's really exciting. I'm, I'm, I mean, I just have put in so much work into getting my multi-sig right. And yeah, it's, you know, it's just far from grandma. But at the same time, I feel like these things, they, they move in orders of magnitude. And, mm-hmm. you know, there couldn't be a nice cell phone wallet that does multi-sig because most iPhones don't take a micro USB chip. And there was no air gapped options really available till Kobo came out. And now, right. and now, and now you guys. So, right. I mean, as this stuff gets developed, you know, the the path to better UX is definitely, you know, becomes more clear. At the same time, I think the biggest constraint for Bitcoin is getting everyday people to be able to grok the tech and be able to yeah. use it securely. Yeah. And and I think so just with regard to like my biggest complaint with single sig right now. Look, look at look at the ledger phishing stuff from the last couple of weeks. I think that's the biggest complaint. I think it speaks for itself where there's there's always going to be some percentage of Bitcoiners where, you know, they, they buy a hardware wallet, they write down their 24 word seed and then they stash that away, but they don't actually understand what the seed represents. And it's really easy for Bitcoiners who've been around for a while to say, you just need to drill into people's heads, you know, don't ever type your seed into a computer. But some of the UX for these hardware wallets actually does include typing your seed into a computer, <laughs> like for Trezor and, and Ledger for the restore. You don't have to do that. They have more advanced options where you can do it with the mashing the two little buttons on the device, but which is crazy UX, I think, in a not so good way. But, you know, I don't think it's enough to say, don't ever type your seed into a computer. I think that we need to have some kind of protections where even if some user is tricked into typing their seed into a computer, or maybe they think they're safe because they're using a passphrase, but passphrase, but their passphrase is like hodl, you know, and they don't realize that you have to have a very, you know, long, secure passphrase, which I can't can't even imagine how many passphrases are like four to six letter you know common words right which which can be brute forced in almost no period of time and so that's that's my biggest complaint with single sig which is there's always going to be some percentage of users that get fished or tricked or they download the wrong software or something goes wrong and you have like an order of magnitude increase in security if you need you know to hit two of their two of their devices or you know three of their devices or so on makes makes a lot of sense i mean ultimately it just really depends on how advanced the user is but if you were to get you know mom dad grandma to self-custody you would want them to be in a situation where they were protected from any catastrophic error they should be able to have at least one catastrophic error right because if it's a situation where you can't make a mistake, then that's that's a tough situation to be in. Right. And I know a lot of Bitcoiners avoid that by not having all their coins on the same seed or having a seed and then coins a different passphrase. That's something I used to do. You know, I thought I was so sophisticated with my, you know, treasure and, and two passphrases back in the day. Right. And and that's complicated, you know. I think that you may actually end up it's almost like the, the the more layers of complexity you add, the more room for human error as well. 
you know, maybe you have a couple sophisticated passphrases, but then you you forget one. You think you're going to memorize it and you forget one of them. You know, there's there's a lot of things like that that can go wrong. And so I do think it's important to protect people from mistakes. I also think there's an angle that I haven't really heard much about. And I've, I've kind of thought a lot about it based on what River is doing now. Because River has actually added a hardware wallet integration in beta to their exchange. And privacy concerns aside, obviously we care a lot about privacy. We want we want people to, you know, have their own Bitcoin and store it themselves and be able to, you know, not have an exchange knowing where all their funds are going or, or the chain analysis companies. But a lot of people are comfortable trusting their exchange, you know, like River, for example. And right now with that, you can withdraw to your hardware wallet and you can see your hardware wallet balance in the exchange because they, you know, they know what the XPUB is. And so I think there could be a really interesting middle ground between withdrawing your funds completely into cold storage versus just keeping them on the exchange. I think if we can convince exchanges to allow for withdrawing your coins into your hardware wallet, but still being able to manage the hardware wallet from the exchange where the exchange can, you know, see the coins, but they can't touch them or entering into some kind of joint custodial relationships where your exchange has a key, you have a key, you know that you have some protection in case they, you know, maybe go out of business or something. I think there's a lot of interesting things that can be done there. I know Unchained Capital does offers two or three setups for their loan product where, you know, they hold a key and then a third party that you both kind of trust holds a key and then you hold the key on your hardware wallet. I think there's a lot of really interesting setups that we need to be experimenting with to try to get users to at least take partial or full custody over their coins. I think my, my biggest fear is that Coinbase custody holds 2 million Bitcoins by the end of 2021. Well, if we want to sink a huge whale in that front, we got to convince Barry Silver to do something different with the GBTC yes. because yes, he's custodying that in Coinbase. And yep. that's, you know, that's the 80-20 right there. Like mm-hmm. it's too um, dangerous, I'm, I think, for the for the whole industry. Yeah. Well, okay. So like let's let's talk figuratively. You know, obviously Unchained Capital is trying to provide these services, cold storage that is Bitcoin first, Bitcoin native, multi-sig. What mm-hmm. is it gonna take for someone like a Michael Saylor, a GBTC, you know, one of these maybe the future Bitcoin ETF to be in self-custody, to not be in a yeah. fully custodial exchange service? Yeah. To be honest, I don't know if we're going to be there in the next several months or beyond, right? I think I think we need more. How about years? <laughs> Let's not talk yeah, about months. Years, yeah, years, definitely. I think we're going to need more mature, more open source, trustable, enterprise-grade security hardware that is using PSBTs on the back end, you know, using these just standards to do multi-sig and, and be able to form transactions and approve them for multiple parties, kind of roll keys on and off. I know I know a lot of companies and other groups, I mean, typically these exchanges are using HSMs, you know, hardware security modules. There's different vendors that make HSMs. They're typically extremely proprietary and there are things that a vendor will have to, you know, you have to pay millions of dollars to the vendor. They'll have to come install it and provision it on site. You're, you know, uh, it, it gets very complex and I think very proprietary and not repeatable. I think it'd be really cool if there was some, you know, open source enterprise grade hardware that could essentially act as like their wallet 
that's managing large numbers of signers, you know, each one using some kind of open source hardware device like a passport or something else that's or a, an array of devices that are just PSBT compatible. Because you can imagine if like you're in an organization and every employee has something like a passport and the lawyers and accountants also have these devices, right? That are just like PSBT signing devices. And if if you are open source enough with the hardware and the firmware and it's been audited enough and a lot of people have looked at it and everything and it's running Bitcoin Core, you know, as, as the wallet and all that, I think you may be able to create some different thresholds and different, you know, signing schemes where you can, you know, maybe even doing things with like time locking Bitcoins and stuff like that, where you can create an arrangement where it looks a lot like a, an HSM that these custodians would purchase where there's different like policies enforced. I, I think that's how you get there. I would love to be able to make that kind of hardware down the line. I think you also end up probably wanting to use things like, like FPGAs, which are like programmable chips where you can actually open source all of the, you can essentially open source the chip itself. Like you can open source the machine code for the chip so that there's no black box components in there. So I think that's probably what would be really interesting to work to, like a rack mountable type, you know, like like a wallet type device. I think it would be really cool. Yeah. I mean, something you put in the server room that's exclusively your key mm-hmm. signing mm-hmm. device. I mean, maybe it's just a service that all these cloud services also have these kind of devices within mm-hmm. their infrastructure. Zach, it's been awesome kind of getting to pick your brain on these topics. I mean, obviously you spend tons of time thinking about it just because yeah. that's what foundation does. I'm mean, loving what you know the product looks like and I'm excited to get my Thank hands you. on it. I guess if you have one last ask for the audience, what would it be and where can people learn more about you and the company? Yeah, definitely. So you can learn more about us at foundationdevices.com. Our promised ship date is March 31st for Passport. We're currently selling it for for pre-orders online. You can always cancel that order for a refund if you like change your mind before we ship. So there's no pressure there. So all that's at foundationdevices.com. You'll be seeing more about Passport in some tutorial videos and walkthroughs and early access stuff. We'll be you know, we'll be sending out one to Bitcoin mags very, very soon. And our goal is just to talk about the device and, and get feedback and, and just show off to the community where we're headed. And our goal is to sell the first thousand Founders Edition units by, you know, the beginning of next year or so. But but yeah, thanks so much for having me. This was this was a lot of fun. Absolutely, man. For everyone listening, you know the drill. You can find the show at Bitcoin Magazine. You can find me at CK underscore Snarks. Make sure to give Zach a follow. Make sure to check out Foundation Devices. Make sure to share the show with your Bitcoin friends out there. We appreciate it as usual. All right, y'all. Peace. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.